I've always felt like I've, I'm here on the planet to try to develop myself. Like, so I, so I try and step into things and be brave when I don't know what I'm doing and figure it out. And as I've gone along with everything, it doesn't just need to be career, it's, it's everything in life. You know, you realize that, you know, most people don't really know what they're doing until they, until they have a crack at it. And even like you go, when you're 20, you're like, oh, that 50 year old person's got it sorted out. No, no, they don't. They're just older and they're just doing more stuff and they don't really know either. So lots of times I've, I've tried that, you know, like when I was 17, I had never really been on, I'd never been on a plane before and I got on a plane to London. I never left Australia and I had like $300 in my pocket and I had a job lined up and I had no idea where I was going. And I took me six hours to do a one hour trip once I got there because I didn't know how to use the trains and... You know, and I turned up to London in board shorts and a singlet because I didn't realise it was going to be winter in January. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, like, and then, you know, and I was because I was a super shy kid. And then by the time I got back, I spent twelve months over there teaching French and and uh, and coaching rugby. Didn't speak French, by the way. That was a bit of a uh, embellishment on the resume, um, but. And then, and, but then I came back and I had a whole new set of skills. So I was barely said a word to anyone before that. I came back, I couldn't stop talking because I had all this life experience that, that had come through that. And, you know, and, and similar again, in five or six years later, I quit my job and went backpacking for a year because I thought, I need this. You know, I need to step out of my comfort zone again. And the same thing keeps happening in, in my career. So I, so I take things on and then I figure it out. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and this is the place we've been sharing stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose since 2016. Look, none of us are here by mistake. And when we lean into the things we love and the things that come through us with ease, we also lean into purpose. This, of course, does not mean that we will not be challenged along the way. In fact, sharing our gifts certainly guarantees that life will call more to us. But hey, if we're going to be challenged, we may as well be doing what we love. That said, our guest today is Will McCloy, and from what I have gathered, Will is most certainly on the path to his purpose. As host and commentator for Super League Triathlon, it is apparent that many of Will's gifts come in the form of vocal artistry. And though his ability to skillfully report the constantly changing goings-on of this lightning-fast incarnation of triathlon, Will is so much more than a spectacular voice. He is a dad, reporter, journalist, traveler, producer, writer, presenter, and author of Before I Slip Away, a novel about personal and social connection, finding the courage to confront your past and the strength to shape your future. In discovering more about our guest today and my research for this episode, it appears he takes his work as seriously as the fun he has along the way, and those qualities equal someone who is doing what they love. Will came into our awareness with the birth of Super League in 2017, a vision manifested through the always edgy mind of Chris McCormack, one of our all-time favorite triathletes. It didn't take long for us to lock in on our desire to bring Will onto the show, and if you are a regular listener, then you know exactly what I'm going to say next. We knew that when the time was right, it would present itself, and it did. One month ago today, Will crafted a post on Instagram entitled Grateful, and that's when we knew the time had come, and thankfully, he said yes. And so, without a moment more passing, it is with deep gratitude that I say, Will McCloy, welcome to the show. 
That was undoubtedly the best intro that I have ever received. And if you wouldn't mind uh, recording that again for my, maybe for my voicemail, that would be ideal. I'm, I'm very flattered. I'm sweating, like with the gratitude that's, that's coming out. That was, that was amazing. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, it really is. I mean, it's like as soon as we heard you in, uh, in 2017, and we've been in the sport for a long time, and we have endured hours and hours of vanilla, highly censored <laughs> uh, commentary with triathlon, and then out comes Super League, and with it comes you and Maka and um, and Vicky and Alistair and all these great names and great voices, and you guys are having fun, and you're celebrating suffering and pain and just the craziness of these courses. Um, and so... I think we're going to have two camps here that are listening. We're going to have the camp that's just like, they've got your poster up above their bed. Like, they're just like, yes, Will McCloy, that's it. Like, bring in the voice to, to Super League <laughs> Triathlon, among other things. I know you're not just Super League. But then we're going to have this other camp that has no idea what Super <laughs> League is. So what is Super League? Well, let, that, that takes us back to about 2016 when um, Chris McCormack and um, – another guy called Trent Taylor had gotten together and started talking about when, how we could bring back what happened in the, you know, the early 2000s when Macca was racing. So here in Australia, we had the Formula One series, used to race down on Manly Beach. So it was short and sharp and fast and big crowds. And it was, it was something that I guess played towards the casual viewer, you know, like you could enjoy the racing of it. It wasn't an Ironman where, you know, you swim for an hour and everyone's bored and changes the channel. It was something that was gripping and um, it had big personalities and Macca led the way. So for a long time, and, and I'm only saying this because I found out this later because I wasn't involved in triathlon at all, but for a long time, um, Macca was trying to find a way to resurrect that. And between uh, himself, a guy called Michael Dolst, who is still the CEO of Super League Triathlon, and, uh, and someone, uh, um, another guy called Leonid Bogoslavsky, who's a, a, a big fan and an Ironman age group who just finished Kona himself. The three of them got together and then brought on a guy called Trent Taylor who does the events. And suddenly this idea was born of Super League Triathlon. So I, at the time I was working um, in a bunch of different sports and I was just one of the names put forward to Macca to potentially be the guy that could host it. So do the presenting, etc. Now, commentary I'd never done before. So um, Macca chose me. I sat down with him. I had no idea who he was. Zero idea. He was like, oh, I'm a world, you know, he never said I'm a world champion or whatever. I was like, I better just Google him. Like, what, who is this guy, Chris McCorn? And I'm like, all right, okay, yeah, no, okay. He did this thing called Kona that I've never heard of before, right? This is in 2016. You guys, everyone laughs when I say this. And then... Um, and then so the next thing I find myself on Hamilton Island and uh, 20 guys that were there because we only had the men in the first one because we just couldn't – it was a, it was like a test event just to see if it worked. So we had uh, 20, 20 men, none of whom I'd ever seen before in my life, um, and this new format that went for three days and everything was new. Um, the television production was new. The people we brought on were new. I was new. And then Macca said to me, hey, can you commentate as well? Because I was meant to be, just be doing the presenting part. I'm like, yeah, 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 that's fine. No worries. Never done commentary before in my life either. I just wasn't telling anybody that. I was like, I can handle that. That's fine. So new sport, a brand new job, had, had no idea what I was doing. But from the moment we started, there was this real energy about it because it was something that people were wanting. 
was a made-for-television experience that um, we just wanted to take this great sport and these athletes that people didn't know outside this core group of fans and and bring it to that audience that loves Jeopardy in their uh, in their sport, loves uh, the personalities of the sport, of which they were just begging to be showcased, and just wants it all in an hour or two with lots of hype and uh, lots of flashing colours and we just want a triathlon to enjoy what all other sports enjoy in the space. And from there, we went to Jersey, we did another one, and then now we've only had four seasons because of COVID, but it feels like we've been around a lot longer and we keep developing. And And I've just been there through the, through the entire experience and I've got a lot of other jobs, but when the Super League triathlon calendar, like I'm always hounding Michael Dulst for the calendar for the year so I can make sure that I put all that time away and, and beg my wife for the time to go overseas um, because it's my favourite job by far. I just absolutely love it. It's really still got a um, startup vibe where we're still com- constantly finding ways to make it better and I think that's reflected in, in the growth year on year. How did you, like, how do you not get scared or fearful or um, manage those emotions of like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to say yes. Like, is that just natural for you or do you you crave like this, like unknown? Oh no, it's not natural. I mean, it's become natural, (laughs) but I've always tried, I've always felt like I've, I'm here on the planet to try to develop myself like so I so I try and step into things and be brave when I don't know what I'm doing and figure it out and as I've gone along with everything it doesn't just need to be career it's it's everything in life you know you realize that you know most people don't really know what they're doing until they until they have a crack at it and even like you go when you're 20 you're like oh that 50 year old person's got it sorted out no no they don't they're just older and they're just doing more stuff and they don't really know either so Lots of times I've I've tried that, you know, like when I was 17, I had never really been on, I'd never been on a plane before and I got on a plane to London. I never left Australia and I had like $300 in my pocket and I had a job lined up and I had no idea where I was going and I took me six hours to do a one-hour trip once I got there because I didn't know how to use the trains and, you know, and I turned up to London in board shorts and a singlet because I didn't realise it was going to be winter in January. (laughs) (laughs) And so... You know, like, and then, you know, and I was, because I was a super shy kid. And then by the time I got back, I spent 12 months over there teaching French and, and, uh, and coaching rugby. Didn't speak French, by the way. That was a bit of a, uh, embellishment on the resume. Um, but then, and, but then I came back and I had a whole new set of skills. So I was barely said a word to anyone before that. I came back. I couldn't stop talking because I had all this life experience that, that had come through that. And, you know, and, and similar again in five or six years later, I quit my job and went backpacking for a year because I thought I need this. You know, I need to step out of my comfort zone again. And the same thing keeps happening in in my career. So I, so I take things on and then I figure it out. So, you know, and a good example with that of that would be I was doing the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games triathlon commentary alongside Emma Snowsell and um, – We'd done the we'd done those three races and went over three days, and then after that, the guys at the uh, Com Games were like, "Oh, our, our Greco-Roman wrestling commentators pulled out. What do you know about Greco-Roman wrestling?" And I was like, "Well, the same as everybody else, which is zero. <laughs> and they said, "Well, it's, it's on in four days. Can you do you want to do it?" I'm like, 
Yep, okay. 103 competitors from Nigeria and Pakistan and India. And uh, that was the global commentator for that. But you know what? It went fine. You know, like it, it, you work it out. So you, you panic and you, and you work it out. And I think that, that, I think that a big part of that is taking what everybody feels, which is this like, oh, my God, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing, and channel it into a positive energy rather than a, a destructive energy. And I think that, that that's how you grow. And, um, and that's why I end up working a lot more with people like Maka who are continually pushing and finding new things to do and new ways to do it because it's, it's an inspiring, um, you know, place to be around, to be able to be with people who have that mindset. So growing up was, I mean, are you rebelling from an overprotected upbringing or were your parents, you know, instill like you can do anything? Um, were you adventurous as a child? I was a super shy and anxious kid. So, um, you know, like I had, like I, I was very quiet. Um, I was like, you know, I was always the kid who was getting bullied, not never doing the bullying. Um, I grew up like my primary school had eight kids in it. And then I went, and then I was sent, and then I went to boarding school when I was like 1500 kids. So I was, a, and I had a difficult time at, at times during that. Um, so, and I still deal with anxiety now. So like I have, I take, you know, I, I'm on medication and, and have been for 20 years. Um, and I meditate every day and journal every day and, and exercise every day to try and keep it all under control. And, and I've, I've learned how to manage all of that. And I think that that's a very common thing um, for people to do in different ways. And a lot of times, you know, like the people who know me really well know, know about all of that as well. But, you know, most people think, oh, I know, you know, he's on TV, he's doing this thing, his life's all sorted out, he's really cool. Like it's a management thing and it's a, and, and I'm a human the same as everybody else. So there's times when I get um, super nervous or, or worried or stressed or anxious about things as well, um, just just like everybody. And, and I think that, you know, you see these people on TV, or even you see triathletes and stuff and you don't realise they've got so many things going on behind the scenes that because they're just human people like everybody else. So, um yeah, I was a super shy kid and then I came back from the UK and I was, you know, ready to go. And so I went did journalism at university and got a job at Channel 10 down here, which is um, one of the major networks. In, and I started in news. So I did like a, two months of news, which was like drug busts and assaults and, you know, all the bad stuff that you see on the news. And I thought, that's just not for me. Like, it's so depressing. So then um, I switched and I, and I went to the sports department. I did six years of motorsport there, Formula One, um, MotoGP, the supercar racing, etc., which was really great. And we did golf and tennis and a few other things that the, the network had the rights for. But I'd never done any endurance sports, as I said, until until I uh, until I met Macca and the Super League crew in, in 2017. And that's that's basically taken over now with all the other things we do. Uh, with Phoenix and Sub-7, Sub-8 and a whole bunch of different things that are coming up in 2023 as well. So it's kind of taking over, swim, bike and run for me. Um, it's not helped my waistline much, but it's but it's definitely, um, it's it's a great sport to be a part of because it's a real community, uh, which is, and, and a, a surprising lack of ego, even though you might, you might not think so. Um, but when you go and do like uh, sports where everyone's making a million bucks, it's a lot harder to get, Mm. access to them. Triathletes are very um, welcoming and, and down-to-earth people generally. Mm. So I thank you for sharing that because I, I think this um, 
you know, this energy of anxiousness is so prevalent and it doesn't need to be a secret, right? We, we live in a very anxious world. There's a lot of, as you learned from your news reporting days, there's a lot of dark, bad stuff. Like not everything is okay. So even now as you, um, you know, you're still out in front of the microphone, in front of the camera and still working with this type of energy and, and, um, and meditating and all of that. Are there tools that you use on the fly? Let's say you're like, it's, you're about to go live and all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, here it is. Like I'm feeling it. And you can even feel a little bit like in your mm. body. Are there tools that you use that you can share for people that perhaps um, need what, before they're standing up at work for a presentation or before they jump in for their first triathlon and they're, you know, in front of that threat that they could possibly drown in the swim? Well, I think anytime you're doing anything that pushes your boundaries, you're going to have that fight or flight or freeze feeling that ev that everybody has, you know, and it could be being on a podcast. It could be hosting a podcast. It could be anything. It could be standing up in front of a group of 10 people. It could be presenting at your work. It could be standing on the start line of your first 70.3, whatever that is, when you're outside your comfort zone, you're going to feel anxiety. So because I feel it a lot, I, I've worked out how to manage it. And so that I can take that energy of like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't do this to and deliver that in a way that is, um, I guess, helpful or helps my job or uh, help. And then at the end of it, I'm like, oh, I nailed it. Awesome. And then I feel great. And then the next time's better. But for sure, something in the moment that I use is like um, I, do, I do use breathing techniques. So beforehand, so it's like I always go like in for the count of four, hold for the count of two, out for the count of six. And then I just go through that like 10 times. Um and I do, I use these little, like I use it, I do figure eights on my fingers. So a little figure eight, the top half, that's four and then hold for two and then a big one for six and I hold once. And then after about 10 times through, everything calms and then off we go. So, and I think that's the best one to use just in the moment is just if you, if your out breath is longer than your in breath, it's going to help you in terms of calming your heart rate down, calming that like sweaty feeling that you're feeling beforehand or whatever and it just lets you get into the zone it works for me um but you know lots of tri trial and error in terms of little things that work but if you need something for that goes for 30 seconds like if i'm sitting in the car and the kids are fighting in the back and i'm like no it's all right it's gonna be fine <laughs> that kind of stuff i only use it about 25 times a day um but i feel like there is a way to change that that destructive energy into a positive energy and then deliver that. And when it's, and I feel the same way as a triathlete does on the start line. It's like when the, when the camera's about to turn on and the lights are about to go on and like 10 seconds and we're going live and I know there's 21 million people watching Super League and I'm like, <gasps> by the time that actually happens, I'm like, nah, we're good. And then we're off. So um, it's, look, doesn't matter how many times you do it, the 10 seconds beforehand, Mac and I look at each other and we're like, and then we do it. <laughs> and, then, and then it just begins, you know. So I don't think it, I don't think you ever get used to it. Doesn't matter whether you um, you've been around for fifty years or not. It's still a it's still a bit stressful, but it's good stress. Yeah, and the things are constantly changing with super super league. It's not like here you go. Here's the athletes that show up every time, and here's the rules. Even the rules change like from race to race, like the short shoot or uh, mm. you know the 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 um, time trial, like all this stuff is constantly changing. And the point system, like being able to add up the points to see. So it's constantly, uh, there's a constant level of uncertainty 
that's like yeah. really in your face. It is. It can. It can. We've got. To, we've always got to be careful not to swing too far and and alienate people because there's too much going on. But what every decision that's made for Super League is made in order to create jeopardy throughout the race. So you know, as you know, like I will turn on. Like if you turn on the Ironman World Championships, you're like, oh yeah, cool, that's happening. I'll come back in four hours when you, they're running. Right. So it, it, it or, you, or I get really excited about watching it and then I watch it for about five minutes and I'm like, oh man, mm-hmm. this is hard. This is hard because there's no jeopardy until the end. So in Super League, not a, yes, the race only goes for 45 minutes, but we want to make sure that there's always something happening that is material to the outcome of the race or the athletes within the race. And we want to be, we also want to make sure that each athlete, if they're maybe not going for the overall win, they don't feel like they're able to win a race. They can still win money. They can still win a point score. They can still race against somebody. So for example, you've got like your swim jersey winners. They, we had people who were just going for that. You've got the teams. So they're within their teams and all the team managers are telling each athlete, do this, deliver this for this person. And they do, they buy into it and sacrifice themselves because they know if they win the teams, there's a big chunk of cash and the team's check, you know, and the team victory um, to take as well. And then obviously you've got your your overall uh, race getters. So someone like a classic example is someone like an Emma Jeffcoats who was racing for the Scorpions under Macca and Michael Gilliam's managership and... She is an excellent swimmer and an excellent biker, and she took a ton of points in the swim and bike. She probably knew she wasn't going to be able to outrun a Georgia Taylor Brown or a Sophie Colwell or a Cassandra Bogran, but she knew that if she really dug into the points and picked up a ton, then she could walk away with a big slice of the 120,000 US in the end that was for the teams. And also, give herself a you know a very good chance of picking up a spot in Super League for 2023. So, you know, that's and that's very important for them. And obviously she did a great job, delivered tons of points, and the Scorpions got home by two points, which meant that they got they won the team's thing, they picked up some good money, and they um, you know, there was a real team element to it. So that's what those constant evolutions are for. And we're gonna see more in 2023 again. We're still settling on what the best is, like the best formats are, and that's why you see things changing, but we're not content with it being pretty good or really good. We want it to be perfect so that if you don't know anything about triathlon and you click it on and it just happened to come across it and within five minutes you're like, gee, this is all right. And then you look around, you're watching like, oh, an hour and a half went past and I didn't notice. I watched the whole thing. You know, that's what we brought. We want to bring to Super League. That's what we wanted to bring to Sub 7, Sub 8 when we did it as an Ironman. You know, that's what we want to bring, not this, oh, we'll flick it on, oh, it's boring or I don't understand what's happening so I'm going to leave. It's like... What's happening here? Like there's always something going on. So that's what continually happens with Super League and that's what we, we, we're going to continue to do endlessly um, until we have a product that is, is flawless. Um, and then when we have a product that is flawless, the game will have changed and we'll change it again. Yeah, absolutely. I said to BJ this morning, I said, you know, the thing about Super League is um, even, uh, you know, WTS, of course, Ironman, you know, 70.3 distances, the, even the 100Ks that the PTO are putting on. When I get up to go into the kitchen and make a cup of tea or I go let the dog out, I'm like, just keep it playing. It's fine. But with Super League, I'm like, pause it. 
like we've gotten into <laughs> arguments like pause it you didn't pause it now you have to go back like we have to go back because you don't want to miss a second i don't want to miss an instant of it and i heard maca describe it as like he he wanted it he didn't want it to be like a symphony in the park he wanted it to be like a rock and roll concert you mm. know just there's a somehow you guys do it where there's a lot coming at you but you're also not i'm not overwhelmed i'm not like oh god i need a break from this it's so engaging. Um, but behind the scenes, is there stuff going on behind the scenes where you're just like, maybe you guys are misstepping, but nobody really knows that that's happening because you're just, you're just rolling with it, rolling yeah. with it or creating a new rule in the moment? <laughs> it, well, it has happened before, you know, at the very beginning, you know, there was one example where we did our first, we did our first, I think it was the second race in Jersey where we, we had an eliminator. I think it was the first time we'd done an eliminator and, and it was for the women and Katie Zafiris at that time was dominant. So she was hammering the rest of the field and we had the 90-second rule as well. So we're running the eliminator so people were getting cut from the back and then we had the 90-second rule cutting people on top of that. So about halfway through the race, I turned to Macker and I was like, we're going to run out of people. Like, we're, there's not going to be any more people left, right? And he's like, and we're doing the math. We're trying to do the math, right, while it's actually happening. And there's no ad breaks, right? So there's no like, oh, we'll have five minutes to work out what we're doing when we come and then we come back. It was like, I'm trying to do the maths on the screen and I'm also commentating at the same time and Mac is looking at it and we're, we're not smart with the maths, right? So we're like, and I'm pressing the button like, can we confirm that if, if this keeps happening, that in 10 minutes we're only going to have Caddy's Zephyrus left? And the producers are like, hang on, we'll find out. And we're all like banging the keyboards trying to figure it out. So that, that, that's where the Super 6 rule came in. So midway through the race we're like, we're like, okay. I said, turn off the microphone. I'm like, we need to make up a rule, right? And then Mac is like, and we're talking about it. We're like, Super 6, maybe if we call it Super 6, then we'll just stop, we'll just stop eliminating people once we get to six people. Yeah, cool. All right. Guys, we're going to do Super 6 rule, right? <laughs> this is in the middle of the race. So then we stopped eliminating and then they went down to Michael Thompson who was on the ground and was like, uh, yeah, so stop eliminating people when we get to 6. So that, so when we, we were still learning as we went along at the, at the beginning because we wanted to do stuff that was fresh. And so that's how we avoided Katie having a victory lap of two laps just jogging around, <laughs> smiling because we never, never realised that she was going to be so um, – Dominant. Dominant. Mm. So in those beginning days, we were still making that stuff up. Not making, well, we weren't making the stuff up as we went along, but we were still adjusting with each race and each day of racing. I was like, well, how was that? How did that work? Was that good? How can we change it? How can we make it better? And the only thing that's changed now is that instead of talking about that every night after racing, we're now doing one championship series and then sitting down or even just doing one round and going, what can be better? How can we make it better? How can we improve it? So we sit down with the television people, we sit down with the SLT people and we're like, what happens now? So already we're having these discussions about arena games coming up in February and March and April. How can that be better? And that was that was just a COVID pivot doing that indoor racing, but now it's become its own series, which is awesome. And it's got, you know, we see other people come to the fore, which wouldn't normally. Um, but we're going to see new stuff and, and different stuff and better stuff each time. So we, in our four rounds of arena games in February, March and April, we'll, we'll adjust again about how can we make the telecast better and how can we make the racing on the ground better as well. So this fluidity and um, let's just call it detachment, right, because you're not attached to how things have to go, 
um, you've set the precedent. So any, it's all about the interest, interest and the excitement and anticipation of what could, what could happen. Just curious, taking a little tangent here, the news with Iron Man and the two days, what is your, what's your perspective on that? Because it totally, <laughs> it totally like deviates from anything that's been created from Super League. Yeah. I mean, it's far be it from me to make, you know, comment on the decisions of Iron Man. They've got reasons for what they, the, the, what sure. they do, what they do. And I mean, it's obviously split opinion and you've seen, you know, you know, you only have to type Iron Man into Twitter, but if you want to see the storm of outrage that has, has been created and, you know, people are like, what about the triathlon power couples? How are they going to cope? And I'm like, well, I don't know if it's putting it out there, but the man could go and support the woman. I don't know, that would be fine. Like, that's cool. Like, we can do that. I don't I don't hate it. You know, it didn't immediately tell me, because I'm on the inside of an of a organisation in triathlon, I understand that these decisions have to be made. They're not going to make everybody happy. Um, I think Nice is an awesome course, and I think that's a it's a, it's a reasonable idea, but I think that it's... Um, I'm sure there's a lot of factors that have gone into that decision and I hope that the only one isn't money and getting more money um, because Iron Man's a billion-dollar company and, you know, they could afford it. But um, for me, I, I think I understand the pushback of, of two days at Kona and how expensive it is and how hard it is and how and, and Nice will be cheaper. So, for example, like you can go and book your accommodation and travel from the UK and it's going to cost you a thousand euros total, you know, as opposed to um, ungodly amounts of money to go to Hawaii. It's all right for you guys. It's not so good for the rest of us. Um, but if it, if it helps more people do the sport and it, and it increases the number of slots and it, it makes it more accessible for people, then it, it's going to be good in the end. I think that the traditionalists probably you know, want it to be at Kona and there's lots of people who only race if it is there. Um, but it's not achievable for a lot of people. It's going to cost you $10,000 to do it. So people yeah. hate change, but, right. you know, and, and, and we make, and there are lots of people who go, this Super League's silly. You know, it's, it's not sport. It's not triathlon because it needs to be swim, bike and run in that order and it needs to be of this distances and it needs, you know, and, and we, we do fight against that. But there are far more people that go, this is fun to watch. And then because they turn on, that the money from the advertising goes into the pockets of the athletes and we become a more professional sport. So um, if that helps do that, then awesome. Also it creates two per year, so there's different, more stuff to watch and more exposure and greater fields and more focus on the women too, which is, which is good. I think that was one of the big wins from this year that they had their own day to race on and didn't get swallowed up in the men's race, even though I, they could definitely spend more time showing us what's happening outside the top three. I did feel like there was a lot of focus on the front of the race and none on the rest of the race. But, you know, that's, that's, that's their decision. That's nothing to do with us. I think it's um, such a, a testament to the triumph of marketing. Like they've literally marketed an island that is synonymous now with this championship race and to pull that away is creating this incredible outrage but there's a loss like people are, so they're going through like stages of of grief, grief and loss right they're going to be angry and then <laughs> under that anger there's going to be sadness and with time they're going to heal and it's going to be it's going to be okay but i mean iron man is a company that has 
such a power um, in their marketing department that people are, you know, tattooing their corporate logo on their on their bodies, and they have been for a very long time. And they branded this uh, this island as their world championship, and now they need to kind of untangle that because everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people wanted the growth of the sport, the growth of the sport, the growth of the sport, and with the growth of the sport has to come change because you cannot have eight thousand people racing in that tiny little town on one day. It's just not going to happen. And all you have to do to get a local's um, point of view is take an Uber ride from the airport into town, and you'll hear about what they think about Kona um, being Mm -hmm. in town. So, you know, they're a business, and they have a right to expand that business and and make decisions. And, um, yeah, letting go is tough and and something that you had planned to do. It's going to be tough for a lot of people. Uh, but I want to spin it back to Super League. You had talked about a little bit of pushback. And you guys have a commentary, which I really enjoy. And I cannot believe that people don't think that Super League triathlon is is triathlon. So I'm having a hard time understanding <laughs> that, that belief system because I'm a big fan. But I, I mean, it, it was like, finally, like, finally, we have some commentary that is just, it's fun. And they're like, you know, oh, there was a horrible transition. And, you know, you guys are, have, have you had any pushback on that, on kind of your, your banter. And sometimes there's a little bit of rubbish talk. Uh, there is, and it's a fine line, you know, because I mean, from we're both, when you've got Macca and me together, we're both <laughs> Australians and Australians have a certain way of doing things. And it sometimes can be, um, we've got to be a bit careful. So like, a, and a good example is, we, you know, we're in Majorca, we're doing the Majorca round in 2018 and there was this big hill. And at the top of the hill, there was a church. So during the commentary, we're calling it the Church Hill, right? And so then in the first half an hour, we're calling it the Church Hill. And then we started calling it the Winston because it's the Winston Church Hill, right? Which is funny for us, right? But then we're like, and they're going up the Winston again. And then the people are like, what is this? What, what are you talking about? Like, you know? So like, you know, this is a, there's this Australian way of doing things, which is a bit of larrikinism. It's a little bit, you know, it's what it is. It's what you hear. But we've also got to be careful that, you know, we take into account the fact there's a global series and people want to, you know, they, they want to be entertained, but we can't just sit around making in-jokes all day either. So there's definitely a line that we've developed and, and, and a certain style that I've tried to develop with this sport whilst knowing that I'm an outsider coming into the sport and not putting anyone, I'm trying not to put anyone offside. But being in the spotlight in this realm or any realm, and it's the same for the other sports I do, there are some people, there are some times when I need to turn my Twitter account off, for example, because I suddenly get a whole bunch of like, you know, people want to get on there and go, you're rubbish, what is this, this is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. But I have to say that in, in, in the triathlon world, there's been, that's been minimal because I think people have enjoyed the fact that there's another option and something a little bit different. Um, than what had been coming before for a long time. And they'd been kind of crying out for this like entertainment package because what was offered sometimes in triathlon was even for the diehard was hard watching sometimes. And there was a certain distance or a narrative distance between the viewer and the action. So sometimes you feel like the action was happening over there and the commentators were talking about it but or they were talking to each other and the action was happening over here and it was a separation. 
where there was, you know, long camera shots and the athletes might be going, well, that reminds me of 1986 when this thing happened and this, and then I'm like, <laughs> I'm just dying of boredom. Whereas, and what we wanted to do was just, just decrease that gap. So I'm like, we were always like close-up shots of the faces. We want to see the emotion of the athletes. We want to hear from the athletes and we want to talk about what's happening in the moment with those athletes so that there's none of that separation between this is happening in the background, but we're also talking about what happened in 1994. But And it was helped by the fact that there was always action. It wasn't a long swim or a long ride where suddenly you have to fill in those gaps with, you know, just random chat because you're just fluffing. So we wanted to get rid of all of that dead space. And, you know, even with the arena games, we're even shortening the telecast even more next year. So there's really no, there's no downtime. There's no time to change channels or go to the toilet. You're going to have to pause the TV, Jess, okay, So the, the, in, the, in the arena games. There's going to be no time at all. Otherwise, by the end of it, you're going to be busting, right? Either that or you're going to get a television in the bathroom. <laughs> no. Uh, I love that you don't. You're not bringing this. Let's call it um, baggage from pre, like history of the sport. Like you're in it. Like you're. It's a fresh perspective. It's fresh. It's new. It's engaging. It's. It's live, and I can't tell you how many times we've just been like, oh my god, like we just want to have some personality there, some like some like conversation, and so. Um, I think it's refreshing that you don't have that history with the sport. You started, you, you've said it many times, like 2017 is your, your, exper- your first experience in your birthplace with, with the sport of triathlon. And I think that's, that's actually a benefit. That's like an asset um, coming into this sport. And then being able to, to you know, work with Maca and then also to, to pull in like Alistair. Like if you want to talk about a commentating like like gemstone right there that had the three personalities together. It's, it's amazing. And you guys play off each other so well. I just, I, I think the, um, I think the future is bright for this, this package of um, media, let's call it media for the, for the sport. I think, um, you know, back to your point about the cameras, like the boats are like literally right there by the swimmers with the camera and the boom, like hanging over and, and bringing that engagement is everything. It's what we want, what we want to see. So, um, I hope it just never ends. I hope, I hope there's just like <laughs> oh, more and more racing. Well, I think there, I mean, we're going to have nine races next year. We're going to have, you know, four arena games and five championship races. And then we, we're always looking to build on that and we'll go as long as we can. We have to find areas in the calendar that is going to allow our athletes to to do that, and obviously when we head into Paris, it gets harder and harder in terms of mm. what their what their requirements are and to get points for their federation to to go to the Olympics. Um, but we're established enough now that athletes will make the choice, and maybe one day we have athletes that specifically are aiming at short course racing. Like we can have a calendar that's big enough that you go, okay, well I just choose this. That, like I choose not to try to go to the Olympics. I choose to go on the Super League tour and and you know and be well paid and looked after and etc etc etc. Maybe it comes to that. But at the moment we you know we we find spaces and and do what we can and and you know with the blessing and benefit of working together with World Triathlon, you know it, it it's not that difficult to do. So um, I, I, yeah, I think you're right in terms of 
coming, I came in from other sports, Formula One, netball, rugby, et cetera, et cetera. And I came into triathlon and I was like, there could be a bigger show here. You know, there can be more, like, we don't have to be so humble about triathlon. We can be, we can shout it out, like in the same way, you, you know, you're watching the NFL or whatever and you're like, and they're right in your face. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Well, that's what we should be doing. Why, why are we not? We've got all these amazing athletes. And on the first time, we had like Javier Gomez and Alistair Brownlee and Richard Murray and Henry Schumann and all these guys were there. And I was like, these guys can be superstars of this, you know. And then they, and then I found out that they already were superstars. But just in this little area, <laughs> just in this little, just in this little um, echo chamber of triathlon, and huge, these huge stars, like. To give you an example about how much I didn't necessarily know at the beginning, I remember rocking up to Hamilton Island and I'd done so much study. So, like, I, I'm a notorious overstudier. That's one of the benefits of, like, being anxious about all these things. I, tra- I, I, I channel it into, like, you know, hours and hours and hours of study. So I knew everything. I knew what, like, you know, I knew what Javier Gomez liked to eat for breakfast on Wednesdays. Like, I was in it, you know, in terms of – but it was all on paper, right? So, but actually putting faces to names and, and meeting them, I had never done any of that. I didn't know anyone. So we had Emma Snowsill, who was, a, who was our co-host in Hamilton Island. Now, I knew about Emma Snowsill, right, because I Googled her. Like, I was like, right, I know she's Australian. I go, oh, okay, like she's won, she won a gold medal. And, and I had all this list of stuff, you know. So, I, and then I was talking to her and I was like, she's like some, something about her husband. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, at least you've got the, the gold medal over him. And she looked at me like... <laughs> She's like, you know that Jan won a gold medal. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, yes, yeah, 100%. Nah. <laughs> no, I was that's... like, who is that? <laughs> if they're not, if he's not on this list of people, I don't know who he is, you know. And so now it's funny to look back because it's been like six years and I've been really immersed in the sport and, you know, we're, we're shooting with Jan next week in Bahrain. But um, at the time, nothing. Like I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jan, Jan Fredino. Yeah, 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 that guy. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that funny? It's funny now. Yeah, that's like awesome. I was, yeah. But but the 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 um the amount of the amount of background work that I do would give give you anxiety. Like it's just it's very important when you go into a sport that's niche. Like, and I wish it, we didn't refer to triathlon as a niche sport, but in a global sense, it probably still is. And I do a lot of sports like that. You've got to honor the people that love it as well as the people that don't. So that if you turn up unprepared and call someone the wrong name or give the wrong stat, I think that's doing a dishonour not only to that athlete but also to the television broadcast crew and to the organising crew as as the pointy end guy who who gets all the gets to go on the big podcast like this and do all the cool stuff. You've also got to honour the work of every other person behind the scenes that is putting this thing together. So if you turn up unprepared. Even even a little bit, um, I think that's that's not fair to everybody who puts so much work into it. So that's why I do a lot. But I tell you what, I got to do the extraneous stuff like whose husband's won a gold medal. Otherwise, there's going to be problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because the power couple thing is real. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. And that that they're they're the original one of the original power couples. That those two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that you study their names because that's one thing. Like if. Um, I've, I've done pretty well at self-regulating my fire over the years uh, through meditation. Um, but what the thing that makes me crazy is um, when I'm listening to well-established uh, mm. 
triathlon broadcasts and the names are just, they're so far from what they truly are. And it just, mm. it makes me crazy. I'm always yelling. I'm always yelling at the screen. <laughs> yeah. The, I actually um, had someone's, I actually had someone's mum text me once and say, thank you so much for getting my son's name right. Nobody has ever done that. And I'm like, oh, well, I only just asked him what his name was. That's it. It was like, well, I can tell you, it was Vasco Velasa. So Vasco Velasa's mum was like, thank you so much for getting Velasa right. Because you still hear Velaka every time. <laughs> And you're like, mate, that's not it. Like no one's asked him, how do you say your last name, dude? Like it's easy to do that. So um, the one I always still get wrong is Vincent Lewis because everybody says it's wrong. Every, not wrong. Everybody says it differently. Sometimes it's Vincent Louis. Sometimes it's Vincent Lewis. Sometimes it's Vincent. Sometimes it's Vincent. It's very, it's a shifting, it's the shifting sands of Vincent Lewis, but it's actually Lewis in the end because he's Portuguese and not French, but everybody says Louis because they expect it to be. But he's like half Portuguese. Anyway, this is the this is the All this right. is the background that has to be done. That's we didn't know that. That's I, I good. Feel like it's okay. gone it, it's gone through waves. It was like Louis for like two years and then Lewis mm. for a year. It, it seems like they go through like blocks of time where they just yeah. get on the on the bandwagon of what the name is. Well, I just I, also he just goes, oh, just, just call me Lewis. What do, whatever you want. Yeah, he probably doesn't. You're like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm a star. I do what you call me whatever you want. Doesn't matter. Everybody knows who I am. um i want to switch gears a little bit because i want to talk about the book that you wrote um i happened to uh happened to find that in my research and um it just seems like a really important uh message it's a fiction book yeah because it's a story but where um what inspired you to write that well i think and, and when I go back and look in my laptop for the first iterations of that book, it goes back to 2014 when I started and I didn't publish it until 2021. So it's kind of like a seven-year process during which time I got married, had two kids, started working in triathlon, travelled around the world. So it just kept getting put back. But at that time and, and throughout that time, I, you know, when you work in television and you put a lot of work into each live broadcast, when that live broadcast goes to air then it just disappears. No one ever records it. It's not, wor- it's not worth much the next day. You know, it's not, there's no tangible thing like when you paint a house or you mow a lawn or you build something and you go, look what I did. This is the thing I did. So I wanted to do something that had, te- like, it, that outlasted me. Whereas in, rather than, you know, and I used to write for like publications and stuff and then it would just go in the bin the next day and the news disappeared and went, the news from two weeks ago, you don't remember that. You know, so like it's, it, I wanted something to do something that was tangible, but also something that was close to my heart. So a lot of, so the book is about a kid who deals with anxiety and which makes him do odd things and make strange decisions. And, and then he ends up meeting an old man who, um, and assisting this man to help break his, his wife out of the hospice before she dies so they can be together. Um, but all sorts of crazy stuff happens along the way. But the main messaging is about, um, the prevalence of, of, of anxiety and mental illness and separation and isolation in our society. So, so how, how important social integration is, how important it is to support each other. And, um, and it's a young adult fiction novel. So it's now in a lot of libraries at schools and um, in curriculums and, and stuff like that, which is fantastic um, because I want to normalise the stigma around that kind of stuff because a lot of people deal with 
things like that, especially teenagers and, and things like that. So a lot of that main character is me. I bring parts of myself to it like everybody does. Um, and I want to do something that was nothing to do with sport, you know, nothing to do with, um, you know, the stuff that I do the rest of the time. So um, I put a lot of lot of love into that book. Um, it ended up, it's kind of heartbreaking because I wrote it, it was like 100,000 words and then the publisher was like, it's really great but can you cut out 35,000 words? And I was like, <gasps> what? Anyway, so I had to go through and slash, 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 slash it all um, and now it's, it's, it's out and you can buy it in bookstores and stuff which for me is really still very strange. Um, it's only been out for 12 months and but when I get a review or someone messages me on Instagram or whatever or leaves a met, leaves a review on Amazon or whatever, that to me when someone says that they love this book or that it meant something to them or they cried at the end of it or something, it's so much more meaningful to me than when someone goes, hey, man, that was a really good commentary call or whatever because I put so much more of myself into it that it's very it, – it, it always still knocks me for six when people, you know – say that so um go and buy it it's like a dollar on kindle like come on <laughs> <laughs> like it's it not is. expensive it literally is a dollar it's like a dollar yeah, i was like cents. I, I cut it i just cut all the prices because i don't i've made zero money out of this by the way like it's not something that i've made money out of considering how much time i put into it and i never wanted to which is why i put the prices at like basically nothing because i just want people to read it so that they might give it to their teenage son or they might just or they might see something in themselves in it and it might help them you know or it just might mean something to them so that's why and I think I looked at my royalties and I made like I don't know a hundred bucks not much like I make a minuscule amount of cents per book but I don't care about that I just want people to watch I just want people to read it and enjoy it and and for them to, to get something out of it so I don't treat it as a job but I will do more but only because I want people to connect with each other. Yeah. And the, the book is called Before I Slip Away. And I was reading the reviews on it and you, and it really has touched a lot of people. And I think that that is, um, I think that's what a big part of why we're here. We're here to connect mm -hmm. with one another. I, I believe we're more similar than, than we are different. And the things that we traverse are, um, in their essence there, it's exact. Um, so it's a beautiful yeah. offering to the world. Well, and, and in the same way that what you guys do, you know, I, you know, and I, I've been listening to your podcast since um, since you guys reached out, and there's a there's a real, I don't want to, it's not a spiritual element, but the way you guys talk and the way you guys are talking about things like that, that's what vibe with me, and I was like, yes, one hundred percent. So in the same way that I write a book and I put it out there for people to take, you guys are making a podcast. It's the same thing. So that's why I'm here, and I think that's why I appreciate what you guys do as well. Yeah, I think it's that um, that you know before we hit record, we were we asked you, you know, is there anything off the table? Like, is there anything we shouldn't talk about? And you said, no, I'm an open book, and and you know that's that's what that's we are us. too. Mm -hmm. And and I think when you can you can just get past that that veil of and it's really. Um, it's really like this egocentricity, like, oh, what are people going to think of me if I'm an open book and I tell them, you know, whatever I did this thing and mm. and it's it's not socially acceptable or I feel guilty about it or I regret it. Um, you actually realize that um, people don't care that much. Um, and if they if there is any kind of feedback or any sort of outrage or pushback or whatever, it's it's very temporary. 
and it actually has more to do with them and what they're navigating in their life than really than me living as an open book and and living um, living in an authentic way. Um, and in recent years, that's that's kind of been a almost like a buzzword, right? Like authenticity. We want authenticity. Mm. Um, for me, that that really was blown up in my face uh, during a yoga teacher training when our teacher said, like, you know, it takes no effort to be you. And I thought, what? Like, it takes so much effort to be me. Um, but for you to be an open book, which I think is synonymous with being authentic, you know, what is it? What is it? What is the essence of authenticity? How does it feel to you? Um, I think that's a probably a good point when you say it doesn't take any effort to be you and you think, you know what, it does. But I think the effort goes into making sure that the way you present yourself protects yourself from judgment. So, mm. you know, if you wake up in the morning, you're like, I have to be a certain way in order to protect myself from people judging me. That's what takes so much effort. Like, and then, and, and, and so then, you know, you get trapped in this, like, I am not, I'm acting like a way that I am not really inside, which I've did for lots of years because, you know, when you're a teenager and in your 20s and stuff, you're mostly worried about what other people think about you. And it was tiring to be that, you know, and then as you get older, as, as I got older and I just stopped giving a shit as much and it's only really been in the last two or three years when I've really been like, you know, if I'm, whatever, you know, and stop trying that things have gotten to be easier for me. But it takes a lot of cut, like when you say it doesn't take any effort, it does take courage to strip away all those layers and 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 just be like, okay, yeah, man, I take antidepressants. Yeah, man, I got anxiety. Yeah, yeah, I gotta I gotta be honest about this stuff because other people have it too. So me not saying anything is not helping anyone else, you know? So yeah, I'm gonna write this book and it's gonna be raw and it's gonna make people cry, but they're also gonna go, that guy has a problem the same as this guy in the in the book, you know? And it and you gotta be like, you know what? Everybody does. So I'm just going to lead the, I'm trying to lead my own way and be, I, I'm not so arrogant to think that I would be an example for anybody else because, gee, I've got lots of flaws like everybody. But if I can just be myself, finally, it will be easier for me in the same way that your yoga teacher would say that. It is easier once you, once you get the courage to just drop all the pretense and be yourself and some people are not going to like it and that's okay but it does take courage to get to that point. So like a, two years ago, I, I joined a group of men here in Australia who, who are, have all kind of banded together in a group who, uh, and we keep each other accountable for meditating every day, journaling every day. We get on a big round table discussion every week, talk about our feelings, talk about what's going on with us, right? As, as, and it's only for men who are over 35. So, um, and it's open to anyone in the world. It's called Rising Kings. It's a fantastic program and, and it keeps you accountable for this kind of thing. Physical stuff, family connection stuff, m making sure you've got a good connection with your partner, all that kind of stuff, working with your kids to make sure that you're the best dad, the best human, the best business leader that you can be. And doing that made me realise that every single man, because there's some big tough dudes in this thing, right, covered in tattoos, and, but they're all, they're all going through some stuff. And it's all the same stuff, but nobody says anything about the stuff. So that when you actually dig under and you're like, you're like, I'm just scared that I'm not going to be the best person I can be or I'm, I don't like my reactions to things or I, I, you know, I'm, I haven't got a good relationship with my wife because of this and this and this happened to me when I was a kid. doesn't matter how big you are and muscly you are and covered with tattoos you are, you've got the same stuff. And we, it doesn't matter whether you're in California or Australia, you've got the same stuff. 
or whether you're on TV or run a podcast or are a yoga teacher or anything, everyone's got similar stuff. So once I realized that, I was like, oh, well, I'll just be me. And yeah, for sure I get, and I'll probably get less negative feedback now than I did when I was trying really hard to be someone who I wasn't because that's what I thought would be the right thing to do if I was going to get to the top of this thing or the top of that thing. And then when I detached from that and I was like, I'm just going to be me, I think that's I've connected with people a little bit better on a personal scale and then also through whatever TV or radio or whatever I'm doing. I just think that people notice when you're an authentic human and you're just like, okay, um, here's all here's all of me with all my good bits and pieces and, and I'm really putting a lot of effort into what I'm doing for you guys, whether it be, you know, commentary or whatever. And people go, well, I respect that. That's great. And I think that's the same that people can put in their life in any spot. Mm. That's pretty powerful. Wow. Yeah, I think... I think detachment, just de- detaching from this all is really just allows us to be who we are. But I think the the thing that comes into play there is like, and you've got two young daughters, right? Um, it's like, you've got to let them have their experience, right? Like the, the path that you, you've you lived and that you know now, like we almost want to like save them and be like, oh, you, you don't have to care about what people say. You know, you can, you can like just forget it, but that's not how it is. It's not oh, how it's it is. One of the one of the great, like, things that I'm trying to work on at the moment is not controlling. Like I'm like, because I see them doing the same things that I would do and I'm like, no, you don't have to go down this path. You don't have to care about this. You just you just don't have to. And then they're like, but, they're, but then you've got to realise they've, they've got to do their own, they've got to make their own errors. They've got to not make their own mistakes. They've just got to live their own life and I've got to not try and control or shield them from things um, because, you know, I see my eldest, you know, going down, She's growing up and she's about to be eight and she's starting, there's all this world opening up to her and I'm like, oh, oh my God, like just just, <laughs> to stay here as long as you can. You don't need to. But then, you know, everyone's got their own path to, to, to follow. So, and I'm still learning about who I am and I'm 40 in a couple of months and, you know, it's going to be an ongoing process forever and, and, and it's the same way as, you, you, I don't think there's ever a solution where you're like, oh, I've arrived at who I am now and this is it. <laughs> I've achieved it, so now I can just sit here and do nothing. It's just like a constant process of of introspection um, and just seizing opportunities as they come up, like I try to do, and and then just instead of detaching from this like idea of what I wanted to do when I was a kid, and I thought I'm going to be on television, I'm going to be this guy, and I'm going to be this guy because then if I have this job, then everybody's going to respect me so that I can feel protected and and not vulnerable because you know. I'm going to have this role in life, in society, so then I'm going to be a big deal. And then as I've detached from that and I've gone, you know, I don't need that because I've become more steady in my own self, then all these opportunities start flooding in to get to that. Like when you when you detach from the outcome, suddenly you're like, oh, now this thing. Oh, now I'm going here. Oh, now. And then you look back and you're like, holy shit, I did some shit this year. Look at that. And I didn't think about it at the time, but then you add it all up and you're like, oh, Maybe if I stop trying so hard, the opportunities will come, like the energy of the universe will reward me. And, you know, you got, I mean, I do so much and we could get into all of that because I read a lot of weird books, like a lot of like real esoteric stuff about energy in the universe and consciousness and stuff, do a lot of learning, um, but that's seeped in. And as, as I've kind of gone, no, no, I'll just do it this way and, then, and, and, not, and not panic on the outcome, then suddenly all these doors open up. They're always there. 
but I never had access to them in a, in in my conscious space. But now I do, and 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 there's a lot more doors that are going to open up soon. I'm just looking forward to walking through them when they arrive, but not panicking about them not coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. You're totally speaking our language. Um, <laughs> I thought they, I might be. You... I could tell from the background. No one can see the background with the Buddha and all the floral stuff. I was like, yeah, I get these people. We'll be cool. We'll, we'll understand each other. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. Um, because, you know, the fact is, Will, we need more of of you to be you. And we need more of BJ to be BJ. And we need more of Chris to be Chris. And, and we need more of Vincent Louis to be, Lewis. or Louis, to be uh, <laughs> Vincent Louis. Like, we... We are unique and there's nobody like you and there's nobody like me. And so when we kind of you know, work to fit into some kind of framework that we think will allow others to accept us, you know, more easily is insanity because everybody is seeing the world through the lens of their own mind, which is their history and their celebrations and their traumas. And so there's just, it's such a fruitless, it's such a fruitless journey. Um, and you're about to turn 40 and I just mm. turned 50 and 40s are, 30s were awesome. 40s are awesome. And I'm starting to realize that 50s so far is like, it's the highest level of, I don't give a shit that I've experienced <laughs> yeah. in my life. Good. And I'm thinking that's just going to continue. Yeah. I look, I'm all for it. I mean, I, like part of me hanging out, like especially when you go on Super League stuff and all these guys are like 23, 22 and you're like, oh, my God, look at them. They can just they can just train and then they can just train again the next day without feeling like they're going to have an aneurysm and like they can just – they've got this like vitality to them because they're in their like physical prime. But then if I really thought to myself, do I want to go back to that? I think no, no, thank you. No, like I might have been physically – um, you know, in my prime at that stage, but mentally nowhere near that, you know, and I've, all the work I've done to get to this point, I'm not going back on that, not a hundred years. Like I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And I think that if you continually work on yourself, you don't end up having a midlife crisis. You know, I'm probably not going to end up getting a red sports car because I'm just always doing little work to get to be, to be very happy with where I am. But it's, but it's constant work. It's like renovating a house. And if you continually renovate a little bit you don't end up with an old wreck that you need to knock down and start again so um but so yes i would never trade it so and i'm sure you wouldn't either to go back to that it'd be nice to go back but only if you knew everything you know now then you would dominate like then 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 if i could be 15 but have the knowledge of a 39 and a half year old that would be perfect but other than that no thank you yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a reason why they're not putting 50-year-olds in those Super League uniforms. <laughs> I do have one, actually. I have two. I have two. I have one is Jake Burt Whistles, and there's, there is no way in on God's green earth I will fit into that. Like, I can get one leg into it. But I do have Christian Blumenfeld's as well, and I can fit right. into Blumenfeld's race suit, but it is it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry oh my outside. gosh, that's, <laughs> that's got to be your Halloween costume for sure. You got to be Christian Blumenfeld. Oh it my would gosh, scare I love the children. it. It will scare the children. <laughs> no candy for you. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh, Will, I've so enjoyed uh, this last hour with you and um, really grateful that you came on the show to share yourself with our audience. Um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Will. Really appreciate it. Not at all. Thanks for, for continuing to push the, the platform of, of, you know, of authenticity with people because it, I think, you know, like other, sometimes sometimes I, if I was going to come on here and we could talk a lot about triathlon and that would be a great chat, um, but it'd probably be the kind of chat that people would listen to and be interested in and then immediately forget about afterwards. Um, so when you, when you dig a few layers back, it's always, you know, you really speak to the... The human experience, I suppose, no matter what or, or, or where we come from. So I think that's that's cool and that's why I've enjoyed it so much. So thank you for having me. 